With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the show. This is your host, Bernice Alexander Bennett, and joining me today are two researchers, Keith Winstead and Doris Kevin Frankie. Now, the topic of this show is Never Say Never, Discovering the Untold Story of Archer Alexander. Doris Kevin Frankie is a professional genealogist with over 40 years of experience, the author of nine books, she recently prepared the listing of Sage Chapel Cemetery, a 100-year-old slave cemetery with 118 African Americans in O'Fallon, Missouri, on the National Register of Historic Places. Keith Winstead has been researching his family history for over 30 years. Now, you may wonder, what's the connection between Keith Winstead and Doris Keevan Frankie? Well, I'm going to bring both of them on and just give them a warm welcome so that we could hear this Never Say Never discovering the untold story of Archer Alexander. Welcome, Doris and Keith. Thank you, Bernice. So let's start with Keith. Since we're talking about Archer Alexander, maybe you would want to tell us just a little about Archer Alexander. Keith? Well, uh, yeah, this is Keith. I didn't know about Archer a year and a half ago. I did, I'd never heard of Archer. Uh, and uh, I've been doing genealogy for years, for over 30 years. And I have a cousin. His name is uh, George Alexander, and he did. He was doing genealogy, and he came to Louisville, and was talking to me, and he asked me if I knew who Wesley Alexander's father was. Well, Wesley Alexander is his great grandfather, 
Wesley is my great-great-grandfather. And I had tried before to find out who Wesley's father was and couldn't do it. So after uh, George asked me, I, I went back to try to find him again, see if I could find any information again. And uh, I, uh, uh, Wesley is my great-great-grandfather. He's also Muhammad Ali's great-great-grandfather, and he's George's great-grandfather. So I went to 23andMe, and I saw this Stephen Alexander that I matched as a fifth cousin. So I said, well, his name is Alexander. Maybe I should try to get in contact with him and uh, see if he could send me his tree because he didn't have a tree on 23andMe. So I, I sent him messages. I had been sending him messages a year before, but he had never responded. So on 23andMe, he had a picture. His picture, he had that he was from Illinois, and he had his paternal surname. So I went, and he said, and it, he, he had he was from Illinois. So I went to Facebook and looked for Stephen Alexander on Facebook who lived in Illinois and who had friends with those surnames, same surnames that he had on 23andMe, and I found him. So I, I sent him a message, and he called me. And I asked him, are you the Stephen Alexander who did the DNA test on 23andMe? And he said, yes, how'd you find me? And uh, so I said, I, could you send me a tree? And he said, well, he had to get with his aunt and create a tree. And a couple of weeks later, he sent me a tree. And I found out that he was uh, my fourth cousin once removed, which means he was a generation below me. He was a generation below Mohammed. And uh, so his father was our fourth cousin. And all four cousins shared the same third great grandparent. Okay. So he, so his, his father's third great grandfather is going to be the third great grandfather of one of my second great grandfathers. And I have 16 of those. Since he matched me and he matched um, Muhammad Ali and he matched May May, they're on my mother's side. So those eight great-great-grandparents that I have on my father's side, I could eliminate. And on my mother's side, there's eight second-great-grandparents. And of those second-great-grandparents, there was only one path that was common with Muhammad and May May and myself. And at the top of that line was Wesley Alexander. So that means that Archer was the parent of Wesley or either Wesley's wife. But I knew Wesley's wife. I knew who her parents were. So that meant that Archer was the parent of Wesley Alexander. And the last names are the same. Okay. Uh, Archer was from Virginia. And on the, I believe it was the 1870 or 1880 census, Wesley said his father was from Virginia. Also, the good thing about 23andMe, it gives a paternal haplogroup number, and that's only passed from father to son. And uh, so Stephen should have the same haplogroup number as Archie. So I got my uh, cousin, 
George Alexander to take the 23andMe test. So, so that same haptic group should go to all the Alec, male Alexanders. And he had the same paternal haptic group as Stephen did. So that's how we were able to determine that uh, Archer was uh, Wesley's uh, father. Okay, so you you figured out that Archer was your third great grandfather, but Doris, yes. what was the connection between your knowledge about Archer Alexander and the significance of connecting with Keith? Is that what you're asking me, Bernice? Yes, that is. Okay. Well, uh, Keith reached out and contacted me one day um, because um, I had uh, shared um, how um, Archer Alexander was Muhammad Ali's uh, great-great-grandfather. Now, I had I was familiar with the story as a historian here in St. Charles County. I was familiar with the story of Archer Alexander. But um, at that point, um, I had um, done some interviews for the local um, media, and um, he was part of an exhibit at the St. Charles County Historical Society. So I knew who Archer Alexander was. I had um, read um, William Greenleaf Elliott's book about Archer, and um, so that was the reason that I was sharing this new news. And um, at that point, I got a text from someone asking me if I knew where Archer Alexander was buried. And I, that's how I met Keith. Um, I asked, are you a descendant? And he said yes. And we began chatting, and I um, began to learn his connection and all the research that uh, he has just shared with us, he had shared then that with me. And um, that's how this, this, this started. Um, I, I, I knew um, who Archer Alexander was. Um, he did spend 23 years of his life here in St. Charles County. And um, his story is, is pretty well known here. Um, so, I was um, just simply sharing it for that reason. But um, as you know, after we began um, talking and discussing things and discussing the book, um, it began a quest of mine. And um, Keith and I um, have shared many hours uh, discussing uh, when, where, how, why, and all that about Archer Alexander. One of the first things that we learned um, in doing, um, that I learned in doing the research, was that William Greenleaf Elliott's book, how wonderful it is, while it is wonderful and, and shares a great story, it is um, essentially what you would call a slave narrative. And, and as such, and historical fiction, and as such, what it tells a story while it tells a story, it is somewhat fictional, and a lot of times people ask why is that and how do you know that? Well, when Keith asked me where um, Archer was buried, that was the first source I turned to, 
And as I researched that, the first thing that Keith and I did discover ultimately was that Archer was not buried where um, Elliot's book says. Now, a lot of people may ask, why is that? And the book, I must reiterate, published in 1885, is historical fiction and um, does take some liberties. And the reason, I'm sure, um, in this great author's defense is the fact that, as he first admits at the beginning of the book, that um, when he first submitted it, the publishers would not publish it. He was quite anxious for Archer's story to be told, and um, some, shall I call it, tweaks were made to the book and to the story in order to see it published. Um, in Elliot's book, it says that he's buried at Centenary Cemetery, and um, with um, uh, some deep delving into St. Louis Genealogical Society's um, great cemetery list, we were able to discover and document that Archer is indeed buried at um, St. Peter's United Church of Christ Cemetery in Normandy, uh, St. Louis County. And as we did research, we started um, of course, I did, um, as, at sort of fact-checking all of Elliot's book. And that was how I did the, the initial research of, um, on Archer of doing fact-checking of the book. And after a while, a pattern started um, developing, and we began to understand what things had been changed. And um, that that's how the documentation went about of, of, of Archer's book, and that's what brought Keith and I even more uh, together in understanding that a lot of what had been previously written about Archer, I mean, while it's quite an amazing story itself of um, Archer, it's, it's the untold story is even more amazing. Okay, so I don't want to assume that everyone that's listening even know the story of Archer Alexander. So Keith or Doris, either one of you, can just give us an overview of who is Archer Alexander. Well, Archer Alexander um, was born in 1806, a slave, um, in Lexington, Virginia. And um, he grew up there, and his um, parents, according to Elliot, are Alec and Chloe. And um, he, um, while he um, grew up there in 1829, when he was 23 years old, he was um, part of a um, move to um, Missouri, taken by several families, led by and journaled by a William Campbell. And he was owned at that time by James Alexander. Um, James Alexander died about five years after reaching St. Charles. And in St. Charles County, he lived um, along the Darden Creek. And um, he um, was quite a, a respected individual. And the unfortunate demise of his owner put him not to be sold not to be and the and the house not to be sold and the, and that 
And William Campbell was the executor of his estate and the McClure estate. And this put him in William Campbell's um, control at his house on the Boonslick Road. Now, he lived there for a number of years, and until 1863, on February 28th, he had overheard um, that the men in the area had worked to saw the timbers of the uh, railroad bridge, which um, did uh, Union troop reinforcements. And they were bragging about how the next um, pass of the railroad would bring the uh, railroad um, engine down and all the men and, and the, the whole uh, train down. So he took it upon himself at great um, risk to go and inform um, a Union troops nearby. And they had an outpost stationed at that bridge. And um, he was, of course, taken seriously and also was the prime suspect by the Confederates in the area. At that point, what happened was um, they um, were after him. He used the Underground Railroad, and he fled, and he made his way to St. Louis. There he went into a butcher shop and met, um, was introduced to Abby Elliott, Abby uh, Adams Elliott, the great niece of um, President Adams. So what happened, though, is she is the wife of William G. Greenleaf Elliott, and he took him in, and because of the fugitive slave law, he was endangering himself and his own family and immediately went and got an order of protection. And that is how Archer and Elliott met and became, as Elliott says, fast friends. Now, it was because of Elliott being part of what is the Western Sanitary Commission that at the end of the Civil War, um, when that became an issue um, about Lincoln, there was a proposal for a monument. And that monument, as we all know, and not many people do realize, though, is the um, Emancipation Memorial in Washington, D.C. And that monument is the depiction of Abraham Lincoln, President Lincoln, and it is Archer Alexander rising from one knee. Um, and that monument was paid for entirely by the colored people of America with the assistance of the Western Sanitary Commission and the Freedmen's Bureau. That um, monument was erected um, and the uh, dedication with President Grant and um, Frederick Douglass happened in 1876. So that is, and and Archer then uh, died in 1880, and um, his funeral was assisted by Elliot and Yeatman. Elliot died in 1887. So, Kate, when you began to connect the dots, talking to your DNA cousins, and you learned that Archer Alexander, your great-great-great-grandfather, was actually the person portrayed on the Emancipation Memorial. What did you think about that? I I was really happy to to find that out. You know, I I, uh, never knew who my third great grandfather was and then I found out that he was he was a famous person 
that he did, you know, he did good things. He saved many lives by uh, his actions. And uh, and then my other relatives, they were, they were, you know, George really was happy that that happened. And, uh, you know, he, uh, it, 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 it's, it's something that, it's like a puzzle, you know, you try to find your relatives and then when you finally find one, it's like you, you put a piece in the puzzle, you fixed the, you, you made a uh, repair in your puzzle. So, you know, it's, it's good to know that. And, and we're learning more and more about it. You know, since I met Doris, I found a, you know, I was found that Archer and his wife, Julia found out where they were buried. I found out there was no tombstone, and and three people were buried in the, in the same grave. And you know, from the beginning, I just wanted to find out as much about Archer as I could. And uh, Doris, you know, I can't be driving from Louisville to St. Louis to do research. So Doris really, and then she's a professional. She really found a lot. You know, found a itinerary of their travel from Rockbridge, Virginia, to St. Louis, and. Where they stopped, they stopped in Louisville. Is one of the stops. Uh, found the names of the children of uh, Archer and his uh, wife Louisa, and uh, found out the owner of uh, you know Louisa's owner, and that uh, she was the daughter of uh, I believe it's J- uh, John uh, McClure, and I, I didn't know any of that. Oh, and, and I really, you know, and then Archer's watch, I was able to go to St. Louis with my son, and we were able to touch and hold the watch that Archer had, that Archer used to own. So there's not many people. My, my grandson, I mean, my son is Archer's fourth great-grandson, and he was able to hold his watch and see a watch that uh, his fourth great-grandfather used to own. And you know we oh, also. Oh, I can imagine what that was like just seeing that watch. Yeah. I mean, just you yeah. know, listening to this story, and so many people just dream to be able to trace their ancestors the way Doris has assisted you in doing this. And so, Doris, Keith mentioned documents, and you were able to really talk about the trail and where he stopped. Tell us about those documents that you found that support the story that Keith was just sharing? Well, when one is doing research, there's a lot of um, ways that I don't think people realize to um, find this kind of information. One of them, and and that um, was natural, of course, is always knowing um, the descendants of the person that you're researching. Um, That's why when we're doing our family history research, we know that ancestor the best. But another way of um, fulfilling that story and making it uh, larger is, as as, um, Keith has said, um, that he has several relatives that had been researching and knew things that he didn't even quite first know. And for that reason, um, one of the things that we do, and I do most often as a professional researcher, is to seek out 
um, other descendants of someone because quite often um, them being third and fourth cousins, they've come down through another line and they quite often have either family Bibles or stories or information about someone that one branch of the family doesn't have. And it quite often happens that one branch doesn't even know about the other branch. The other thing is local history. Um, I knew about Archer because I knew that this was a slave that had lived his life in St. Charles County and what he had done in conjunction um, with the railroad and what he had done um, at great risk because if they had caught him, they would have lynched him. And I knew that story. I also knew the story of the house that the slaves had built for William Campbell. And as I worked that, I began to be aware of how William Campbell came here to Missouri when he came. That, um, in turn, led me from one journal that was in a local historical society to another journal, which had been donated to Washington and Lee in Virginia. And both of them felt that their journal was incomplete. Both of them were incomplete. Both of them had information, one in one that wasn't in the other transcription. And as I began to research the journal, just as I had Elliot's book, that's when I began to discover things uh, about that uh, that track, which also helped us to discover how Wesley probably came to be a baby in uh, Louisville. And that is the kind of part of the story that makes it so much more fascinating. And when Keith and I first started, there were so many things that we wondered about, um, such as Wesley being a baby there in Louisville, that we thought we would never know. I remember mm-hmm. saying to Keith, we will never be able to find that. But it's sort of like, as Keith says, a puzzle or, you know, following the breadcrumbs, one discovery you have to look at and, and look at really closely, and that can help you find further information if you really do delve into questioning every bit of information that comes out of a document. And, you know, I'm really glad to hear that you said you you looked at Campbell because you knew that he was responsible for Archer, Archer's movement into Missouri. And then you knew that, wait a minute, something is missing here. This is not the full story. And you continued to connect the dots or, or put the puzzle together, as you said. And this is a it, this is a challenge for for all genealogists, especially those who work in an African American genealogy, because you may not think as far out of the box as you need to, and this is what you're telling us because there's Wesley, this baby, and now you're connecting it to his father, and then how did his father get from Virginia to Missouri? Just fascinating. So tell us what happened. Now, did you actually go to the various sites, or was this online research? No. We actually went to the various sites. We um, joined each other in Washington, D.C., the picture at the memorial. We started at the end, you might say. 
but then we um, did go uh, down to Lexington, Virginia. Um, on there, you'll see pictures of um, Keith standing in front of uh, the Campbell's home um, <laughs> and actually right there where um, he would have uh, taken off from. The Campbell's and the McClure's and the Alexander's, um, they're all related. And as we know, uh, that is part of the story of how these slaves were brought to Missouri. And that's the other thing. In order to learn the story, I w you would not have been able to find this kind of story in um, the African-American Re African records because they weren't kept. And I had to um, follow the story of these few um, white families and their slaves. And the very first thing I did was research every one of those families and then start and begin to research all the locations mentioned in the journal, which made me discover that the locations in the journal, that they're actually visiting family on their way here to Missouri, which also helped us to understand what was really going on in the back of that story. And on our blog, archeralexander.blog, that is what we shared and we shared um, what was there in the journal, what the journal entry said, and what was the reason they were there. But um, we thought it'd be fun to share a little bit about what's there today, because a lot of times people look at it, something and they don't quite see it as it originally was at the time that Archer was traveling through there. So I know and the picture of the monument and you and Keith scrolling across the rotating billboard, but how did Archer end up being the former slave, the former enslaved portrayed on the Emancipation Proclamation, I mean, memorial? How did that take place? That is uh, a really the, the, you're absolutely right, the, the crux of the, the whole thing. Um, uh, what had happened was um, James Alexander, who was the owner of Archer, and um, he had brought him, but he died here in Missouri. He, at first his wife died, and then he died in 1834, and what happened is in his will, he insisted that none of his slaves, which there were 10, um, were to be sold. The property was not to be sold, and what was to happen to his four orphan children that were too young was that they were to be um, returned to a guardian in Virginia, which William Campbell, the executor, did do, and those four children were taken back to Virginia. And um, that's what um, happened to the children. But it put all of um, James Alexander's and the McClure family's slaves also under the um, care, um, <laughs> for lack of a better word, um, all of those enslaved individuals were put under the care of William Campbell. Now, William Campbell himself was a, quite a prominent attorney, 
Um, he was first an attorney and an editor of a newspaper in St. Charles. And then in 1843, when um, he moved to St. Louis, and uh, he continued to be um, the, the guardian of all of that, those enslaved. So it was up to him to decide if it was better to sell and who they were to give to and what was to happen to all of those enslaved individuals. So if it hadn't been for that, um, we wouldn't have known as much as we do about what happened with them. And um, that, that was an important part. Of course, after Archer leaves St. Charles County and makes his way to St. Louis, we know his life best um, from that point forward by William Greenleaf Elliott's book. So how can people learn more about Archer Alexander and the untold story? And I understand, Doris, uh, you are writing this story. Um, I have been working on a book for quite a while and um, have had a lot of um, great help and a lot of support. And um, we do have a um, website um, for Archer, archeralexander.blog. Um, it's a WordPress site, so it can also be archeralexander.wordpress.com. But um, that will take you to all of the journal entries and information. Now, we have in Ancestry an Archer Alexander, a slave, um, for uh, those that do connect with Keith that need to see that. Um, it's been a great journey because with the combination of the DNA, which only adds further, um, <laughs> for lack of better documentation, to Archer's story and Keith's connection, in addition to the documents, is what's made us um, be able to discover a story that we didn't know before. And so individuals can go and read more and learn more about this story. Now, Keith, have all of you, all of the descendants of Archer Alexander ever gotten together just to share your stories? I know you connected with people by way of DNA, but have you all had an opportunity to do a face-to-face -face reunion, per se? Well, we, we came to St. Louis twice, and, and Doris took us, took us around to the Campbell House, took us to, uh, you know, the bridge location and, and uh, the creek that was named after Arch Alexander. And uh, we went to, Saint Ch you know, the city of St. Charles. And, uh, you know, anything that had to do. We went to the museum where the watch was. So, yeah, we had, and, we had a, you know, we, we did that twice. And to St. Peter's. And it, it's important yeah, for people yeah, to understand yeah. At St. Peter's Cemetery, Archer and his um, second wife, Julia, are buried in a common lot. And there are hundreds of, of graves in that, and none of them are marked. And those individuals in that portion of the cemetery are buried two and three deep. And it would be impossible to identify the exact location. But St. Peter's has graciously given the family a location um, right up front at the entrance um, to place a memorial to Archer 
and um, they will um, provide the base in that for a memorial um, when the family uh, decides how they want to do that and um, and raise the funds for it. Oh, that is wonderful. Well, Keith Winstead and Doris, Keith and Frankie, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. And do either of you have any closing remarks? Yeah, I, w- I would just like to thank Doris for all the work she's done because I wouldn't know anything if it wasn't for her. You know, I couldn't I couldn't do the research in St. Louis, and uh, the research she found is not online. You know, you have mm-hmm. to go to these places and 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 get it. You know, and uh, going to the Campbell House that Archer was in charge of building, and and to the bridge location and knowing that his second wife could speak German and, and uh, you know, I, I just, there's many things that I didn't know, know and wouldn't, wouldn't know if it wasn't for Doris. Well, thank you, Keith. I'm just waiting for, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for a book to come out, you know, because <laughs> I'll learn more. Well, Keith, you've taught me to never say never because I don't know yes. how many times as we began this, I would say we're never going to be able to find out this or, or that. <laughs> and that's my closing thought. I want everybody out there that is researching. I, I have done um, several families that are African-American, and I, I know how much more difficult it is. And I just, I never thought that we would find the things that we have. So never say never. Well, Doris and Keith, you're right. Never say never. And it's very inspiring to listen to this journey and to just understand that you can find things. (laughs) You definitely can find things. And so for everyone that's listening, I want to thank you all so much for tuning in. And just remember, your ancestors left footprints. And as Keith and Doris said, never say never. Thank you so much for joining the show today, and I look forward to all of you joining me next week. Goodbye, Keith Winstead and Doris Keevan Frankie. Goodbye. Thank you, you, Bernice.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.